Hi, I'm Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, author of the book, A Forever Family, but most importantly, I'm the father of five children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a radio host and now the director of communications for Comfort Cases. Our country's foster care system is shattered, and the podcast is about how we, as a community, can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today we are talking to Jessica Stern and Jennifer Jacobs, the founders of Connect Our Kids, a nonprofit organization bringing smart technology tools to the process of finding permanent families and supportive connections for children in foster care. Connect Our Kids is unique as they are giving, not selling their tech platforms to every lawyer, social worker, family recruiter, and CASA volunteer in the country. Thank you so much, Jessica and Jennifer, for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having us. Well, we're really excited. I'm excited about any tool that we can get out there to create more forever families. You know, as both of you know, we, um, my husband and I, we have five kids and we have, um, four of our children we are adopted and our oldest one, we are just starting the process of adopting him, even though he is 19 years old. And one of the things I say this all the time to people is that I believe that there are more people out in our country that would adopt children if they knew about them. And because for some reason we have always had this, this cloud and we don't show these children, we don't talk about these children. I think that, you know, having a a search engine like yours is amazing. So what I want to know is one, um, got lots of questions. One, I want to know how this all started, why it started and then tell me how easy it is to use and who should be using it. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you very much. And it's awesome that you and your husband have five kiddos. That's remarkable, really. Oh, it's kind of crazy. So you should see all my gray hairs. <laughs> I have one. Uh, oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> Jessica, you want to do the origin story or shall I? Yeah, no, I'd love to. I, this is, uh, is my favorite part of it because it's just such an unusual entryway into the foster care space. I knew nothing about the foster care system a few years ago. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I knew nothing about national security or nuclear proliferation or anything like that. Uh, until I met Jennifer here, um, my assistant is a former White House fellow, and he came home from work one day and said, you know, I really want you to meet my, my girlfriend, Jennifer. She's a West Point grad, a nuclear scientist, uh, a former White House fellow, and she wants to hear about your experience living with a foster family. And I'm like, well, this is fascinating. What in the world does a nuclear scientist uh, want to know about that? And so I met up for lunch, and she had explained to me that she'd read an article in Time Magazine about some of the most successful techniques in finding a permanent placement for, for children was to build out an extensive family tree. And she, in her career, national security, uh, spent years seeing how technology can do fascinating things for the United States military, like track terrorists and terrorist material and nuclear material, not terrorist material. Sorry, Jen. (laughs) Uh, Terrorist (laughs) terrorist families and nuclear material. And she was like, wait a minute. 
okay, this is great because certainly the government is using the same kind of technology that we're using over here in the military for uh, child welfare. And because she's a researcher uh, by heart, she went out to research the child welfare system and, and quickly realized that, no, uh, we're not using the same kinds of technology in child welfare. We're actually using technology that's oftentimes outdated by 35 years. And so when I met her, she said, you know, we could easily build a smart tech platform uh, easily, right, Jen? Uh, build a smart tech really? platform <laughs> that looks like Facebook on the front end, but on the back end works like Ancestry.com, but for live people. And I was like, well, that's really awesome. Jennifer, you sound super smart. Sounds like a great idea. Uh, but uh, I don't know anything about this space, and I really don't think that I, you know, I can offer anything here. I'll do a fundraiser for you, and that's about it. And she, she shared that statistic statistic, Rob, data that you guys know, that everybody in the child welfare space knows, that I did not know, um, that foster children are diagnosed with PTSD at twice the rate as returning war veterans. Uh, that sure as hell shocked me, and it um, opened my eyes to something that I never knew before, because I really uh, suffered from PTSD quite a bit growing up uh, from my family separation, and I really thought I was unique. And Jennifer educated me and shared that these kids, in fact, are diagnosed with PTSD at twice the rate as returning war veterans. And so we decided that we would just first go out and interview everybody that we could in child welfare. Who would talk to us? I mean, anybody. Policymakers, leaders, decision makers, social workers, CASA volunteers. Uh, Dave Thomas Foundation has uh, Wendy's Wonderful Kids. We interviewed everybody that we could get our... Uh, that would get the phone. And basically, what they said to us was, uh, yes, we would, we could really use something like this. We, if you can reach out to an extended family and find contact information for them and let them know that they are, there's a child in need, uh, in the foster care system, they don't pick up and help, but they just need to be notified. And oftentimes, social workers don't have the tools to find an email for a, a, an aunt that might live in the next county or a phone number that might need uh, or be connected to a grandmother that lives in the next state. And so uh, that's how Connect Our Kids started. It's a really unique um, entryway into the foster care space. And uh, we, we started uh, building this technology from grassroots. I think we talked about this, Rob, a while ago. It, it was one of those things where we thought, surely this will be an easy thing to do. And <laughs> we found out pretty quickly it's hard to raise money for, for something that, uh, just an idea. Um, but we got the backing of friends and family, and we built this technology tool from the grassroots on up. And then we started getting grants from uh, family foundations, small foundations that really uh, started to believe in this as much as we do. And now we're working in the state of Ohio, which is really exciting. And so that's, that's kind of how we got started and, um, and, and, kind of what we decided to do. And Jen, do you want to talk a little bit about the technology itself? Because I think you can uh, take it from here. Yeah, I can do that. First, I'll also add, um, before I met Jessica, uh, when I had started reading about this and learning about it, um, it was an interesting dynamic for me because I grew up riding the bus to school with foster kids who lived at the farm at the end of my 
uh, dirt road in Michigan. And, um, and so other than that exposure, I really didn't know that much about foster care, about how kids end up in foster care and all of the associated parts of that. I was a math science person. I am. And I went into the military and it seemed like it just didn't feel that there was any way for me to really contribute to this field, even though I would read about foster care and child welfare and recognize the tragedy going on there, but it seemed that that was all happening in a field that wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything to do with math science and it didn't feel like there was any way for me to contribute to that. And I think that that may go along with what you said, Rob, that there's a lot of people who would reach out to foster kids, who would adopt them, who would support them if they knew. And also, there's a lot of people who would contribute to the field um, who don't naturally, are not social workers. Uh, they might not be in the position to be foster parents, but if there was something that they could do to contribute to this field, um, they would love to. And we have found, as we eventually then put together our team and adult software, we found, for example, the tech community is largely unaware of foster care for logical reasons. It's not the field that they're working in. And people who work um, in child welfare largely do not have the time or bandwidth to be really aware of what's happening in technology and how that technology could benefit them. Yeah, and you know, I, I will say this yeah. all the time that um, people get shocked when I actually say this, is I, I think foster care is the last option that any child should ever go to. I think that yeah. the very first option that we should all be trying to do is try to find um, some type of family match, whether that is a distant cousin, aunt, uncle, grandmother, grandfather, because I'm actually surprised at the number of people um, who don't even realize that they have a yep. a, a um, relative that is even in the foster care system. I belong to yeah. so many foster groups, um, and we talk of this quite often. Like you know, all of a sudden I got older and I didn't even have any idea. I just recently found an older sister, um, and she was like, "Oh my god, if I would have only known!" And uh, you know, it's very it's crazy. Yeah. You know what's so crazy, Rob, is one of the first um, social workers we interviewed was out west, and she said to me, uh, she shared the story that I was just like, oh my God, Jennifer, this is unbelievable that this is even happening in this country, because I would have never known any of this was happening had I not met Jen. And this woman was a social worker for 30 years out west. She had a little girl in her care for 11 years. I mean, 11 years. And the little girl says, I just really want to know somebody in my family. There's got to be somebody out there. So this social worker had to get a special grant so she and her team could sit around and build out an extensive family tree. They got on Google. They got on LinkedIn. They went on Facebook and all these different places to try to find extended family members of this girl. And you know what they found? They found 38 family members within a 50-mile radius. And not a one knew the little girl had even been born. Wow. That's now, unbelievable. That's, that's unbelievable. And we have stories like that across the but, country. But it's crazy. Also, including her father. Yes, right? they found her biological father. Her father, father relatives who didn't, she'd been born. Her that's father, did, her father didn't even know. Wow. 
No. No, she was mother. eventually go live with him. He didn't know he had an 11-year-old daughter in foster care. It's it's crazy. It's so that, absolutely yeah, crazy. which is absolutely crazy. And in this day and age, you don't you shouldn't have to wait eleven years to try to find somebody. It's just it should be happening within weeks. And so who we can have, we can do that now. So whose know? responsibility do you think that is? <laughs> That's funny. So, so I think you know in the in the very close in sense, it's technically the social worker's job. Uh, but in the broader sense, it's the job of the citizenry to provide them, provide resources mm-hmm. to say, this is what we want to have happen when a child's parents can't or won't or whatever situation happens, provide for them. What do we do? What do we want to have happen? And uh, we uh, uh, hire a point of whatever people to be the frontline person, but they cannot do everything. And they certainly cannot do it if we don't give them the tools. Mm-hmm. 30, 40 years ago, they had to just do what they could manually. And so a lot of this couldn't happen. But regardless of what happened in the past and, and how we got where we are, right now, there's no reason that we couldn't, as a country, provide resources, tools, and support so that, just like what you said, Rob, a kid who's even headed for potentially going into foster care is surrounded by every possible support we can find. And if that is people that they already know, if it's people that they are related to who do or don't know them, if that is former teachers, coaches, if it's people in the community who are vetted and and, um, inclined to do so, that just are stepping up to support whoever needs it, whatever that looks like, we want to provide a tool that makes that doable. Jessica mentioned that my background is actually uh, science and nuclear engineering, and I spent most of my career up until I, I left that career to do Connect Our Kids a few years ago. I spent most of my uh, career in national security in some level or another and homeland security, and a lot of that work was involving research. What we found uh, in doing research, as soon as we had any success in a research effort, we were drowning in data and um, information, and it's really hard to keep track of it. So one of the things we're trying to provide, and you asked me, uh, you asked us to describe technology, you can think of it as a way to visualize, a way to um, storyboard a, a child, a family, a, um, a group around a child. What, what does that look like visually? Um, drawing, you know, putting in people and drawing connections. But also, what is the information behind that? What information do we need to know about that person? What is their Facebook page? Who are they connected to? Um, what is their work page? What is their work situation? Have they been arrested? And what's that information? We need to know about the people that we're surrounding this child with. And that information is almost all public. And it is completely discoverable. And, and social workers around the country are already finding it. It's just that it's taking them a long time and it's tedious work. And it's frustrating work. And so we're taking that information. We're giving them a visual uh, way to lay out what they know, some work tools around organizing their work, and a place to collect that information easily and shareably with their team so that they don't have to delay a vacation or go to work sick because they're trying to help a child and they don't want to slow down the emergency that is happening in that child's life. But the social workers have their own 
right? And they have to be sustained or they burn out. And that's yeah, that's right. Problem. But but you know and what? I've got to I've got to just say this because I say this quite often, and and you know I don't have a well I do have thousands of followers, but not all of them like what I have to say. <laughs> um, I I have heard this excuse my entire life that you know social workers are overworked, underpaid, just like teachers are. I'm sorry when they go into the profession of a social worker, they already know they're overworked and underpaid, and so um, I I feel like so many times, even though yes, it falls on the back of the social worker, I feel like as a community we fail the social worker. Um, I, I think that we have got to start being more transparent when it comes to our foster care system. I feel like, you know, if, if I, and here's a great example. I have a friend of mine. She owns a company that cards yards for birthdays. I don't know if you've seen that in your neighborhoods where it's really oh, big yeah, right now because, yeah, it's been, yeah. you know, they put the big cards and the name and everything. And so she reaches out to me and she said, Rob, she and they're very big supporters of our charity. And she said, Rob, she says, my husband and I have decided that we want to card the yard of two children in foster care in our area every month free. Now, mind you, I will have to tell you, having done this card your yard um it's hundreds of dollars it's not cheap um but free i have reached out to three local agencies to say listen we have this opportunity to make these children feel so special and let me tell you what i've heard back from all three of these agencies well we have a little bit of a privacy issue and we really can't have them know where the house is and i said well let's vet the people well we really Really don't like to do that. There is always a an excuse, and the same thing is I feel that trying to find these children a forever home. There's always an excuse, and that's why I want I want to know how your app is used. How you know how. John and Judy, who are in Iowa, are deciding to build their family. Can they use your app to find that one of those one hundred thousand children that are waiting for a forever home? So right now, um, the app is largely used by child welfare professionals or trusted volunteers. So a social worker, of course, you know, we have lawyers who serve in the child welfare field that use it, CASA volunteers, CASA professionals, uh, folks like that. We have had conversations around uh, making the app a place for folks who have aged out of foster care or even are preparing to possibly age out to use it hands-on, and we're really excited about possibly providing that opportunity. Um, right now, we don't have a pass where John and Judy in uh, somewhere that are trying to grow their family could actually do a reverse uh, lookup around, kind of like an adopt-us uh, kids, it sounds like what you're thinking about. Um, but that is an interesting area that I'd like to think more about. Um Right now, let's say the standard usage is a case manager would use it for um, the child, children on her case. And she would build, or he would build out what we know about the child and then use it. Uh, the, the software not only allows you to visually build it and see it and collect information, but it actually actively seeks information and presents it to you. So if you put in Jessica Stevenson Stern, for example, and some bit of information about her, she used to live in Columbus or wherever she used to be. The app will then go out to the internet and uh, essentially see, you know, where can we find a match for that? 
And if it can find a match or a handful of matches, it will push the information to the user. And they can then use that to build um, more information around the family and the connections for the child that they're serving. That also then helps them organize whatever data they find. You know, Rob, your frustration that you expressed, I, I, I feel that as well. And I understand uh, the excuses. But I got to tell you, I've been interviewing social workers and family recruiters and CASA volunteers for three years now. And you would be surprised what people will tell you when they don't feel their job is threatened or when they don't feel they're being judged. The fact of the matter is, if you have 19 kids in your care and you're working in Appalachia, where there's already, you know, slow internet connection or, or I should say computer systems, they're literally using paper because it's faster to use paper than it is to hop on, you know, this old system the government has provided them. You can see where these kids are slipping through the cracks. It's so, it's so clear. If you, give them a tool that they do not need to get permission for, that they know they can go to our trusted website and have free access, they will be able to find contact information for everybody in that family. They don't need it to, to go get a special grant. They just need to hop on to connectourkids.org, go to the tools page, and access. Their workload will be dramatically reduced. And we actually have had people out of Colorado using this technology, and they say that it has reduced their workload by 50%, 50% faster. They're able to find contact information. They're able to, to engage the family. They're able to keep track of all of their notes in this one platform. And so you're taking away that you know, the paper method slowly but surely, where they're not they're not so overwhelmed that they quit their job, that they they pass that paper file on to the next social worker and the next social worker. I don't know how many social workers you had. I never had any. We were we were placed in family into the church. Yeah. So yeah, so you I mean, it just depends on who you the luck of the draw, right? One woman I spoke to, I cannot believe this. On the East Coast, real close to D.C. here, uh, spoke to a social worker. She said she had a little boy that was placed in a group home. He was eight years old. He had been in seven foster care homes before they finally gave up and threw him in a group home. She told me she got the file. She was the third social worker to get this kid's file. It was paper. She found a post-it note inside the paper file that was about three inches thick. And she just called it because what happens is these social workers end up being detectives, right? They're just trying to follow the, connect the dots and follow the lines. She called this number and it was an aunt on the other line when she dialed that number crying, saying, I don't even know where this kid is. I've been trying to find him. I want to adopt him. Where is he? And this social worker told me, she said, this kid was the most well-being child, zero behavioral issues. He just got lost in the paper. Now, unacceptable in this day and age. That yeah. There is no excuse now. There's absolutely no and, excuse for that to happen. Well, it, yeah, and it may be true that in any profession, there's a variety of levels of performance and motivation. Honestly, the people that we have worked with and trained and interacted with and interviewed have largely been 
really trying to do a good job. And um, we find we find that they are overwhelmed, indeed. And I know that can sound like an excuse, um, but it can also be true. And uh, we have stories starting to come in now. We're several months into our pilot. We're starting to get feedback from our users. And there's, for example, we had one boy who was 11. Um, they'd been searching for a half-sister he said he had. They weren't sure if she was real. And they had... They had tried to look, but they had used resources, whatever they had, Google or something. Um, we gave them our free software. They searched again on the people that they had to search on, and they found his half-sister within the yeah. She was living five miles away. She's wow. a young adult, and she had been looking for him. He had, you know, She lost contact five years before when he'd entered foster care at age five or six. He couldn't advocate for himself. Um, and, of course, you know, as you pointed out, there are there are a lot of these rules that aren't always helpful around privacy and they're meant to be helpful, but they're not always actually helpful. And that's the problem. The children do need to be protected in some ways, but they also need to be part of the community, part of the world, like a normal child is. Uh, we have one advisor who herself had a cousin who went into foster care and she suddenly was no longer able to have contact with her cousin because the child was in foster care. And that's not normal. She she wasn't a threat to the child. She had there's nothing, you know, bad against her, but in fact she was um on the list to potentially adopt the child, which she wasn't. She was a young adult going to college. She just wanted a normal relationship with her cousin. And that's normal for children. But if you get cut off from everything when you go into foster care, that's not neither normal nor helpful. So I think part of that is the culture. And um, we're hoping that if it becomes smoother, quicker, easier to maintain connections and support and knowledge around the people that are around a foster child, we can balance those two things. Absolutely. We can provide a social worker, yeah, a sense of understanding who these people are, that they're allowing access to the person they're with, the child that they're legally responsible for. Um, and that's a bigger responsibility, I'm sure. And also provide them an opportunity to give that child more of a normal, healthy um, opportunity to be part of the world, be part of the community, be part of their family and their whole system around them. Well, we all know they're that they're yeah. carded on their birthday. Well, yeah, exactly. We all know at the end of the day, they, they, there's not enough money put in the child welfare system that, you know, um, and, and even though we do put billions of dollars in, it is mixed, it is mismanaged. Um, I don't care what anyone says. It is very, very, very few agencies out there who are managing it properly. Um, and even though I love them all and I sent, we send them cases all over the United States, um, <laughs> we know that the system is not broken it is shattered and it has to be rebuilt so ladies listen i am telling you you both have educated me more than i even expected i this is the reason why dana and i do fostering change is because we want to educate our public how can people read more about what you are doing and how you know because as i said this to you guys in the very beginning we have lots of agencies that listen to us and we love every one of them and we want to give them all all the the tools to make their job easier because again they're overworked they're underpaid um, how can they get connected to your organization yeah to our website go ahead yeah. Jessica. yeah yeah no just simple go to our website connectourkids.org 
connectourkids.org. And by the way, everybody, we will have that up on our website. We will, as we promote um, this podcast, we will also be able to have a link there to connectourkids.org. And and again, I mean, I am absolutely thrilled to death. I want to thank you both so much for being on our podcast. You know, um, Dana, we, in our podcast, the same way, we have two guests today. So we're going to ask both of them the, the question. We only ask one question question in our podcast that we have already we know what the question will be so dana take it away so if you could change two things about the foster care system what would they be dr jacob i you yeah i uh, <laughs> so i would i would really just change one thing uh and the thing is that any child who enters foster care or is at risk of entering foster care would be treated the way that um, all of us would want our own child treated if if it were on top. Yeah. Well, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So That's how it should be. You know, and and yeah, Dana, we Dana and I talk about that quite often. You know, it's like it, that. Exactly, we get donations at comfort cases all the time, and we Dana and I look at each other and like we wouldn't. You would not put your own child in that. Why would you give it to uh-huh. a kid in the yep. system? In the system. Well, listen, ladies, uh, I I am so so impressed. Thank you so much for taking time out. Um, you know, everyone, I please. Again, I ask you to to go to their website, learn more about it, connectourkids.org. Give this information to your child and family service agencies throughout your county and throughout your state. And Dana, if anybody wants to listen to this podcast, where do they go? So iHeartRadio, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Deezer, TuneIn, and Spotify, and at comfortcases.org slash podcast. And don't forget, everybody, we remind each and every person every single day, it's each and every one of our responsibility is to be a good human. Everyone, Thank you so much. Have a great week, and we'll all talk to you again soon. Take care. Thanks, guys. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.